the cup and the leaf all to be won. Everyone knows there's a job to be done. And with a team so fine, I'm proud they're mine. We'll be singing the song. Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast is sponsored by Starna Apparel. Affordable and stylish clothing born on the terraces. Visit their website, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to episode 5 of Dunfermline Athletic's Former Players Association podcast, Walking Down the Holbeef Road, where we will reminisce about yesteryear and the players who have been lucky enough to wear the famous black and white stripes. I'm your host, Mikey Mokiewicz, and on this episode we speak to a legend from the halcyon days of the 1960s, Harry Melrose. Harry was part of the Jockstein Revolution at East End Park, winning the Scottish Cup in 1961, then playing a vital role in the club's early journeys in European football, not to mention his 106 goals and 271 appearances, which remains the third highest in the club's history. So sit back, grab a bovril, and enjoy this one, with Harry Melrose. Morrissey to Harris. Cunningham. What a chance for Melrose. Melrose falls to the goal. Melrose rushing across there to jump on him. So Harry, thanks for joining us on Walking Down the Hobby Road, the podcast brought to you by the Former Players Association. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, for my age, I suppose I'm I'm quite fit. I suppose. Yeah. So you're uh, looking great. May it continue. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for for doing the podcast. Uh, so we'll start off. You were born in Edinburgh in 1935. So what what was childhood like for you, growing up in Edinburgh? Oh, it was great, Edinburgh was a great place to be. I, I didn't live in the town, I lived in the village of Collington, which was in the outskirts of Edinburgh, actually. So, uh, it was actually a tram terminus there. So that's how far out we were, you know. So if you were going into town, it was a tram, the tram, the tram all the time, you know. Brilliant. But uh, it was a nice wee village, the, a park for playing the football, they had the woods for hooking about and, you know, going bird nesting and such like. And I had the, the bird in the water relief ran along it where you could swim at night. and So it was ideal for, for the kids, for boys yeah. especially. And did you always want to be a footballer? Was that yes, your always. dream? Yes, always. I used to get all the books from the library, but Stanley Matthews' life story and um, Doherty's life story, not Pot, not another Doherty, the Irish international. And I've always, I never smoked and never drank, you know. I've never smoked in my life. And I didn't start drinking until I was about 27, actually. My wife says I've made up for it since. <laughs> But I uh, always wanted to be a football player. Plus, my father ran the village football team right. in Collington. So there was always a ball available. And the ball used to hang in a net outside the door, outside the front door in a cupboard. And when my brother Robin, who was with Dunfermline for a wee while as well, and my big brother George, who was playing with St Mirren at the time, 
used to take the ball out when you come back from school and down the park playing football. As long as you were back and that ball was dubbed and cleaned and back in the net before the old man come back from his work at five o'clock, yeah. you were all right, you know. So there was always a ball available, which is which is good, you know. Brilliant. You started your youth career at Dalkey Thistle, is that correct? That was my junior team, yes. Uh -huh. So what's your memories of playing for Dalkeith? Well, the only one in the league once in their career, and I captained them that year, so that, was, that was a bit of a, a, a thing for me, you know. But uh, they were very good to us, Dalkeith. The village businessman, a butcher, took over the club, and then he started signing young lads, and I was one of them, and Robin was another one. And they just sort of built it up, and we were all together for about three or four years before people started moving on to bigger clubs and that. So it was like a family club, as Dunfermline is. Dunfermline's always been a sort of family club, you know. Yeah. No cliques or anything. Dunfermline's always been a really good family club. So I thought it was great. It was great. Aye. Brilliant. You're talking about big clubs here. You then get an opportunity to sign for Glasgow Rangers in 1955. Yeah, well, I'd actually signed for the Hearts before that as a boy. Ah, OK. I signed provisionally for the Hearts. <laughs> and... Uh, I went in and played a, a trial against East Fife, but one three nothing, and then uh, it's another wee story about Collington Village. I'm one of eight, and uh, only three bedrooms, uh, two bedrooms in the house. So my mother and father obviously were in one way, probably the youngest one, or maybe the two youngest, and beside them in cots and that. And the three girls and four boys in two double beds in the other bedroom. <laughs> a busy house. Well, as we were getting older, my father and mother bought a, a put-you-down sofa. You know, it was a sofa during the day, but it was a bed at night, and Robin and I slept in that at night. Wow. So I just started my time in Ferranti as an engineer, my apprenticeship, and my dad used to wake me up in the morning to get up and get the tram car at your work. And uh, this morning he woke me and he said, Harry, Harry, he says, Mr Walker of the Hearts is here to see you. Tommy Walker, the manager. Oh, yeah, proper and I legend. thought, oh, he's just getting me up to my work, getting me on, you know, because there'd been a bit in the paper Hearts might be watching a, a doggy thistle, Melrose, know that. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was kidding me on, like, and I woke up and there was Tommy Walker. It's about half past ten at night, heating his backside, <laughs> the, the, the remnants of the fire, you know. And when he saw the setup, he said, Oh, look, he says, uh, Mr. Melrose, I think, could you bring Harry down to Tyne Castle tomorrow? And so I signed for them. <laughs> that was in October or something like that, but the freedom at the end of the year. I was too wee. Right. <laughs> That's what I was told, I was too wee. And it wasn't the Tommy Walker that, that, that freed me, it was the directors. Hearts were actually on tour in South Africa at the time. Right. When I got word. Now, Tommy Walker, <laughs> this is a long story, Tommy Walker had a shop just along the road in Dorai Road in Edinburgh. From, my wife worked in a jeweler shop and Tommy had a paint shop about four doors along and they knew each other. And every time he met her, he used to come, you say, I'm very sorry. You say, it wasn't me that freed Harry. <laughs> it was similarly the directors must have been making up the list at the end of the year. Oh, oh, I've never seen him. What? What? Five foot six? He's thin. No, I didn't let him go. Yep. So that was the way for there. So that was a big disappointment because my father was the raw Jambos of our family. I was going to ask that. Did you grow up a Jambo? Oh, I. Was that I, your team I, as a boy? Everybody in his family, uncles. Uncle in New Zealand at his funeral and played the heart song at the end of it. You know? <laughs> and Uncle Harry 
down at Morrison when he died, played the heart song there as well. And Uncle Harry was actually a doorman at Tyne Castle for a wee while, looking after one of the, wow. the you know, so or Roy Jambo's eye. So after that, you obviously got the opportunity to go to Rangers. How, how did that come about? Well, as I say, the trainer at Dalkeith, they got a boy called Bob McCauley, who had been a stalwart at the Ibrox for five or six years left back. He took over as a coach at uh, Dalkeith which probably helped us, you know, and uh, three of us went through one night to play in a reserve game for the Rangers and, uh, well, must have done no bad because they asked me to come back and sign, so I signed provisionally, but because Dalkey Thistle were still in the Scottish Cup, I don't know if you know the rule, but as long as you're in the Scottish Cup, they can't call you up. Right. And <laughs> we came across and played Glen Craig Collier and got beat, we were unbeaten. <laughs> We were unbeaten for about 19 games, we came across here in the Scottish Cup and they beat us on that ploughed field up there at <laughs> Glen Creek. So I got called up to the Rangers then. What a feeling it must have been, oh, getting the opportunity to go to Rangers. It was, actually, it was actually too big for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Coming from the East, you didn't know half of it. I'm talking about the Rangers-Celtic thing and that. You know, there was always a thing about Glasgow and Celtic. I couldn't, I couldn't understand how you got some of them in the bath. We're talking the way they were talking about people, you know, and I thought, yeah. my goodness me, you know, so so it was just too much for me, really, I think. But I only got one game in the first team, and it was because of the Asian flu, otherwise I would never have played. And it hit Glasgow before it hit Edinburgh, and a lot of the Glasgow boys were down. Right. And they were playing Brecon City in the semi-final of the League Cup. I don't know how Brecon City got there, but they got there anyway. And we played them at Hamden, and we won 4 nothing. and I scored two goals. So for the next three Tuesday nights, I was only part-time, mind, I was preserving my time. I was through there on a Tuesday night for training. For the next three nights, I was up the state to Scott Simon's office. We want you to go full-time. Well, in these days, when you were 19 and 20, you did what your father told you. Mm -hmm. And I was still serving my time. So I said, I'll speak to my dad when I get home. That was the first night. Second, I went up. Have you spoken to your dad? Yes, he thinks he wants me to stay and serve my time, you know. Oh, so the next week, again, up, well, I refused again. I said, no, I'm not going full-time. I was freed at the end of the year. I hardly played another game. Just said, they must have said, well, I'll just get up. Yeah. yeah. You know? what, what names were that, Rangers, when you were there? Oh, well, Jimmy Muller was one of them, by the way. Yeah. Ralphie Brand was there, Ralphie. Billy Stevenson, Ian McCall, Georgie Niven, Bobby Shearer, Caldo, Davey Wilson. Proper all legends, all right? No, there. Right. But a lot of them had Asian flu, as I say. Yeah. And uh, myself and the boy for Greensby, Tommy Robertson, he got, he made his debut that night. And we, David Wilson, made his debut that day. Luckily, it was Brecon City, you know, where yeah. she'd have beat them anyway, you know. But still scored two goals, and he wanted me to go full time, I would yeah. nah, My father, my father would not let me. <laughs> you get the opportunity, the 5th of May 1958, the Dunfermline manager Andy Dixon signed you. Mm-hmm. What's your memories of signing Dunfermline? Was that quite an easy decision for you at the time? It was an easy decision because they tried to sign me before and Jimmy McConville told me the story that they signed Robin thinking it would make it easier for me to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but then of course I went to the Rangers instead. But anyway they came along and it was suiting me better because it was near a hand. I'd just been married, I was just getting married actually in the June and this was the May like before. Yeah. So it was a lot handier. Plus, I was doing very well at Ferranti's and I was at night school taking right. my higher national and things like that. So right. it was ideal just to be part time with that. With a club that had just been 
promoted. Yeah. They just got promotion that year, you know, so I what, came. What was Dunfermline like at that time as a club? Well, I didn't have a stand. <laughs> and just the cow shed, they called it, you know, along the front. A small club, to be honest. It was a small town club, wasn't it? Yeah. The thing that made the difference was Jock Steen arriving, obviously. Yeah, which he, we'll touch on. They got a few quid with the, the cup final, the next thing a stand goes up. Of course. Sell Cammy Fraser to Ashton Villa, more money. Just everything improved 100%, yeah. you know. Very quickly as well. Oh, yeah. Your first season, according to our research, you were the highest scoring winger in Scotland with 28 goals. Mm. Is there any goals that stand out for you that you, that you can remember? Yeah. Was that the season I scored the six? That was the season before. Oh, the season before, right. Yeah. I didn't really remember a little bit. <laughs> it's that long ago, isn't it? There's that many goals. <laughs> I, okay, I've always been a goal scorer. I didn't know where mm. it was. I mean, I started playing under 15 when I was 12 year old. Right. And I was playing under 17 when I was 14 year old. I was playing under 21 when I was 17 year old. So, but I was always scoring goals. Mm-hmm. I could always score goals. And I think it was just the fact that Robin and I, after school, every day we'd go down the park and he would cross the ball from the right and I would header it or score at the goal yeah. and then I would go, you know, and we wanted it. We yeah. really wanted it. And that's, we really deserve to go on, to mm-hmm. be honest. But I was always a goal scorer. I don't know. Brilliant. The following season, Harry, 59-60, the club were in a relegation battle. Oh, aye. It was really tough. You set the record, the club record, scoring six goals in a 10-1 win mm. on Partick Thistle. Do you still remember that, that game? Aye, oh, aye, but I never got the ball. <laughs> <laughs> See when the referee took the ball. Right. <laughs> I should have got it, but two of them were penalties, to be honest, you know. It was just too easy. I don't know what happened in that game, but it's uh, a freak game. I don't know. I think there was maybe a bit of okay, pokery in it. To be honest. <laughs> I will take a ten-one win. Aye. Oh, but yeah. that, that season, fourteenth of March, nineteen sixty, the man you mentioned earlier, Jock Steen, arrives, and yeah. the club recorded six straight wins, mm-hmm. including a three-two win over Celtic. Mm-hmm. What What was it like when Jock Steen arrived at the club? Was there oh. an immediate change? Oh or? yeah, just night and day, night and day professionalism. Like that. Jock was an imposing person. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be doing, no matter what you were doing in the dressing room, a big Jock walked in, there was a hush. <laughs> oh, here's the big man, you know, yeah. he's the boss, you know. And they just took over. And I don't know, I think I've maybe told you the story before about when we were play, to play Everton. And this day, a couple of days before it, he just walked in with this paper cutting and put it up on the notice board. Who are those country cousins? The Everton players saying, they're feminine, who are they, you know? Never said a word, just came in, put it up. Of course, your boys like Willie Cunningham and Jordy Miller for that horn, you know? <laughs> 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 Rubbing their hands, say, aye, we'll show them who the country cousins yeah. are. You. That's the sort of thing Joke did, though. Just well ahead of his time. He actually speaks louder than words sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's fantastic he was. He's uh, handling the players, it's just out of this world. Well, I was going to ask you that, he's man management. Oh, fantastic. What, what what was it he, he did? What what was it he had, would you say? What was well, the I'll tell you, he tried to impose himself on it right away, which was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he did was he gathered us all together and said, now look, he says, training is very important. This is your this is your life. This is where you make your wages and that. So he says, I want everybody here in time. Anybody that's more than five minutes late for training gets fined a fiver. I was on. I was only part time. I was on fifteen pound a week. 
<laughs> so if you didn't win your game, you were going to a tenner with tax, you know. Yeah. So to this day, I've been a great timekeeper. Mm-hmm. I've always been a great timekeeper, and I, I fall out more of my life about timekeeping than I ever fall out about anything else. It's really good discipline. I think everybody should be, you know, if you say you're going to be there at two o'clock, be there at two o'clock. Yeah. And I've always been a good timekeeper, and that, that's where it was set. And the boys from Edinburgh used to come across in the train. Mm-hmm. We were always in time. Well, like Callaghan and John Lennon, that were always late. They were living up the road, you know. Brilliant. <laughs> Jock came in in March, like we said, the club then stayed up, which was a bit of a miracle. And yeah. then the magic really did start to happen. Yeah. Following season, we get to the Scottish Cup final. First time in the club's history. What was your memories of the, the run-up to that game? I think you played in every... No, I missed the first game at Berwick because I'd been injured against Aberdeen just a couple of weeks before. And a funny story about that one as well. When we were getting the train in Edinburgh to go down to Berwick, Jordy Peebles didn't turn up. Now, I was hurtling. Jock Steen said to Jimmy Stevenson, the trainer, go and try Harry along the platform there, see how his ankle is. So there was me getting a fitness test on the train on the railway <laughs> station platform at Waverley Station. And Jimmy says... Oh, boy, no chance, boy. But luckily, Jordy had got somebody who cajoled into running him down with a car <laughs> because he had missed the train, you know. <laughs> so that was me getting a fitness day. I was, I was knackered. But I played in every round after that. Aye. aye. Was there a belief quite early on that the club could go all the way under Jockstein? I don't think so until yeah. until this, we started to win the games. That, oh, you, yeah, Christ, you're mm. doing quite well here, you know. And uh, the belief just built up. Yeah. You know, Joke was an unknown, really, you know. I mean, he was only in charge of Celtic's second team. So we didn't really know him. It wasn't as if he'd been a, a big name in the football and that, you know, but as he steadily built up, built up, built up, the players started to believe, mm-hmm. poof, this is, the, this is the bee's knees, this guy, you know. This yeah. guy's going to do something for us. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he made some astute signings. I mean, the first thing he did was he signed Wally Cunningham. The second thing he did was he signed wee Tommy McDonald. Mm-hmm. The club needed experience. Yeah. And that's what he did. Brilliant. And then, what's your memories of the, the, the final officer to draw the first game? Oh. And they went to a replay. Tiring. Very tiring. <laughs> Celtic really were dominant, to be honest. And if it hadn't been for Eddie Conachan, I don't think it would have been in the replay, to be honest. He just made that some fantastic saves. The funny thing was, Eddie was a Celtic stalwart. It was the Celtic daft. <laughs> and uh, often surprised me why Celtic maybe didn't come and sign him after that, mm-hmm. to be honest. He actually put the shutters up. Some of his saves yeah. were phenomenal. And uh, we were up against it most of the game. And Willie Fernie caused a lot of bother in the first game. You know, Willie was a really good player, Willie. And uh, another bit of Jock Steen magic. As you know, Jackie Williamson got hurt. Yeah. So he had to make a decision, what will I do? I know what I'll do, he said. Now John Sweeney wouldn't have been figuring at all because since Willie Cunningham came, John had lost his place at left back. Mm-hmm. But John was always very fit. So he put Jordy Muller to centre half and brought in John and just said to John, I don't care if you never kick a ball, he says. Don't let Willie Fernie kick a ball. <laughs> so that was his... He tied down Willie Fernie, and I think that's what made the difference in the second leg, you know. Just a touch of genius again. Genius again, reading the game. Yeah. He must have said after the first game, if we could tie down Willie Fernie, we'd have a chance, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is what he did, and he put John on. And John hadn't been figuring at all. 
and uh, as I say, since Big Willie came, uh, just he knew that John was fit, very fit. He knew yeah. that he could probably run all day, and he did. With Willie Fernley, Willie, Willie, and Harley did anything, you know. Brilliant. So within a year, the club go from a relegation battle to lifting the Scottish Cup. Unbelievable. What a feeling oh, that must have been. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And what's your memories of coming back to oh. Fernland with the, the bus down the high street? And Unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. You know, you're, you're reading about it, you know. I mean, when the Hearts won the League Cup in 1954 or something, I was courting Betty at the time, and we were in Edinburgh there, we were up in the balcony in Princess Street and everything, you know, over there. Whew, must be magic, that, you know, everybody turning out for you. And it happened to us again in 1961. Unbelievable. The band coming down the road, you know, <laughs> oh, in the front of the bus, picked up the bus, Resyth, I think it was, and then we came up and down the high street. Fantastic. Is it still quite vivid in your memory? Aye. Is it quite surreal at the time? How? I just can't imagine what it must have felt like. It was, it was just unbelievable, to be honest. It's surreal. And then up in the balcony in the city chamber, you know, and then every player asked to say a few words to the crowd that were all down there. I always remember in the bus coming round over Kincardine Bridge. Now, I don't know if you know, you turn towards Dunfermline, there's a row of cottages there, maybe five or six wee cottages. Outside these cottages were these old wifeys and their men, the wifeys with their dressing gowns on and their, and their hair and their colours and their and Dunfermline. They must have known the bus was coming, you know, and... It was just like that all the way in and then right down the high street. It was fantastic. Tremendous. Fantastic and feeling. Do you yeah. still look at that balcony now if you're not? Aye, aye, when you're down the town, you say, ah, well, there you are, you see, it's still, still there. I remember it. Aye, did the collapse, it was all on it. It was all on it. Amazing. So, like we say, the, the club's starting to really take off by this point and we get European football the following season. The first game's against St. Pat's on the 14th, of, uh, the 12th of September, <laughs> 61. That was a funny one because... We knew that the draw was on this day, mm-hmm. and uh, we knew that we'd probably hear about 12 o'clock. So, nowadays they're individual showers, but in those days it was a big bath, you know, a communal bath. Yeah. And we're all sitting in the bath, you know, I wonder if it'll be France or Germany or Austria <laughs> or somewhere, you know. And a big joke come in and says, Right, boys, he says, the draw for the first round of the cup. St. Patrick's Athletic in Ireland. <laughs> Everybody just disappeared under the water, you know. <laughs> What a laying down sort of thing, you know. Yeah. There'll be plenty more trips to come, though. Oh, aye. And you scored the first ever goal for the club aye. in European aye. football. Aye, first goal that day, aye. 1-4-1. 1-4-1, aye. Brilliant. Again, what a dream that must have been. Oh. European football. European football, you know. God. That was still only part-time. You know, in the cup final, there was only John Sweeney and I were part-time. Mm-hmm. Well, Ronnie was supposed to be part-time. He had his own business. He was virtually a full-timer, you know. But yeah. Just a part-time player, you know, still working for as an engineer, you know. Going three nights to the night school and two nights training. Unbelievable, yeah. Unbelievable. So you've mentioned a few players. Who, who were the players that were in, at the club at that time? For the cup final? Aye, uh, round about then in the first well, season. Well, Eddie Conachan, obviously. Me, mm-hmm. Cammy Fraser, who was immediately away to Aston Villa, no longer big Wally Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Wally was one of these guys that... I used to play outside left and he was left back. He kept me going, I'm telling you. I thought I was tired sometimes. Then Big Willie said, Hey, Harry! Your legs just automatically started running again, you know. He always a really boy on the park, got everybody going. Fantastic captain, I. Did you know he was but, going to move into management? 
Did he have? Aye, I a thought he was. I thought he was. Aye, yeah, yeah. He was a leader. Yeah, he was a leader. Aye. Then of course you had Ronnie Mailer. You'd been there. Must have been a dream for Ronnie. Ronnie had been there since about 1955 or something, hadn't he? Yeah. What a dream for him as well. Mm -hmm. Then with Jordy Miller, young boy at the time, Jordy. Peebs, who had been with the club since 55 as well or something, you know? Yeah. Alex Smith, of course. Yeah. Big Charlie. Charlie, Charlie D. Yeah. Uh, Davy Thompson brought in. And Big Danny had a knock. Mm -hmm. Brought Davy in. Davy scored the first goal. Amazing. What a dream, eh? I know, it's amazing. We spoke about your goal there against St. Pat's, you then got another goal against FK Varder in a 5-0 one. Do you remember the trip out to, to the Varder game? I'll tell you what I remember about the Varder. We were living in this big hotel and we came down and for dinner and there was this old guy who was playing an accordion. Playing a lot of it, and it was really, you know, the... Every, looked like big businessmen and everyone with their wives and that. that. He stuck up Delilah. <laughs> the whole place erupted. <laughs> All these gentlemen and wife, my, my. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I always remember that, you know. We're all just eating dinner and having a bled and that, and old boys playing just some wee numbers and that. You know? Then he stuck up Delilah, the whole place erupted. <laughs> but the referee that day was. The away game was a bit of a homer. I think he'd actually played for Rouge Best. Somebody thought they'd actually played for Rouge Best. Something. Right. But anyway, we didn't get much over there, so it was a good job we had the four goals at home. Yeah. We lost 2 nothing over there, but yeah. uh, it was a bit of a homer there. Eh? And then the next game you spoke about earlier, the Everton one. Oh. I think we were English champions at the time, was that correct? They were called the Bank of England team at the time because they were buying all the good players in England and Scotland. Well, they bought Ian Ewer mm -hmm. from Dundee and Alec Young for the Hearts. George Thompson for the Hearts, then we Billy Bingham, Irish international, it's the England goalkeeper West. They'd just been buying all the good players and thinking that would be the success. So, but as I told you the story earlier about Big yeah. Jock with the bringing in the cutting, and they just put everybody's back up. And so yeah. just we got beat one nothing down there, and there was a there was a doubt about the goal if it was ever over the line. Big Wally booted it off the line, the goal, and said it was never ever in. But uh, they gave the goal one, so we beat one nothing down there. Mm -hmm. but but that was a big joke, yeah. genius again. That, this was the first time we'd ever played with a sweeper behind the back four. You know, big joke had been abroad and that and things like that and studying and that. And this is what he did when we went down He played big Wally behind the back four. So, Which nowadays is like the norm, but back then, back then he was, was so ahead of his never, time. Aye, aye. He, was a, he was a forward thinking guy, wasn't he, mm -hmm. big joke? Do you often wonder if he hadn't left to go to Hibs or Celtic, what what he might have achieved here? Oh, oh I he think he was always going to be. He was always. I think he was always the same for Celtic, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And Hibs was just another stepping stone, to be honest. Uh, yeah. He went along with Hibs, was he? Like season or something. Season, season, yeah. And uh, he was always going to end up back there. And well, you see what he did with Celtic. Yeah. When the European Cup. Incredible. Eh? We we eleven guys that were born within twenty miles of Glasgow. Like unbelievable. I know. Oh, genius, yeah, man. Oh, he's a genius. Well, going back to the Everton game, when we brought them back to East End Park, obviously by then the, the stadium started to get redeveloped after Cammy left uh -huh. from Villa. Again, it just the club kept growing. Oh. Like, phenomenal. Yes. You see some of the crowds that were playing in some of these games, Everton and uh, Valencia, 
Well, Valencia was a terrible night, as you probably know. And yeah. It was still about 12,000 then, but it was 25,000. They were in the game, 25,000. Yeah. Where did they come from? You're normally playing in front of 5,000, you know. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've won the Scottish Cup, you wake up, the crowds are going up 8,000, 10,000, 12,000. Incredible. 25,000 against, like, Everton. Fantastic. And do you remember that goal against Everton? I do, actually. I was knackered. <laughs> was Wally shouting in your ear? It was near the end. <laughs> And about five minutes before it, I uh, got a break down the left wing and, and their fullback came across and battered me right onto the track, right against the, the, the side, you know, and I was, oh, was injured and the trainer was across, Jimmy Stevens was across, guy then back on again. And it was just five minutes later, getting near the end of the game, I don't know how many minutes there was to go, mm. ten or something, I think. And, uh, three big minutes time. Eh? Three minutes from the end. Was it three? Uh, oh, I didn't think it was as close as that. Yeah. Anyway, we got tired because we'd all worked pretty hard. And Big Wally played this ball whew, from his own penalty area down through the inside leg position. But I still had about 25, 30 yards to go before the goal. And <laughs> I was getting slower and slower and slower. <laughs> I was getting this goal. The goalkeeper was coming out. But I just clipped it by on the outside of my right foot, you know, that side. He went that way, but yeah. I clipped it with the outside of my right foot that way. And then it, what a feeling. And then big, big Danny dragged me to the ground. I, was, <laughs> I could hardly get up again, piling on top of you. But oh, it was a fantastic feeling. Man. Brilliant. And yeah. the, the other game I was going to ask you about, you mentioned Valencia. Oh. What, what were the, the three games against Valencia like? Well, the first game, we're well beat. Mm. We're well beat. When they really played abroad a lot, you know, when, when the experience of playing against these teams, and Valencia just won the cup the year before. They were a good club. And they beat us 4 nothing pretty easily, to be honest. You know, but over here, <laughs> I don't think the game should have been played, to be honest. It was brick hard and, and icy. The Spaniards came across with just the studied boots. <laughs> because we all had the baffies on, you know, yeah. the flat soles and the rubber rubber boots and that. So they were at a disadvantage right away. Some of them had tights on and gloves, they were feeling the cold, you know. <laughs> it wasn't in Spain, you know, it was no. Scotland. <laughs> in December or something, was it? It was December, yeah. So we caught them cold right enough. Uh, uh, but they were still a good team, but mm -hmm. I think the, the conditions helped us a lot that night. What, what I was going to ask you, again, the genius of Jock Steen, he brings in... Alex Edwards, Wally Callaghan, John Lunn, Jackie Sinclair, all young local boys. Young and we. And we, yeah. See, balance on the, on the, on the, the surface that it was. He didn't want big boys like Big Danny, and mm -hmm. you know, Big Danny was gangly and that, good player, gangly, and, and he must have said, guys, the wee boys would be better on their feet in this, you know, we Alec and then Jackie on the other side. And just genius again. Were these guys not all 16, 17 years old as well at the time? So obviously he thought, Nothing to play. Young Alec players. Edwards made his debut. I was inside left to him against the Hibs when he was just over 16 years old at East End. We beat Hibs. And he played outside left. And I played inside left that day. And he was only 16. He's a great player. He was very unfortunate in so much as you had like say, Wally Henderson mm -hmm. and we Jinky Johnson, boys like that that were before him. Yeah. He was a smashing me player. Yeah. Did you know even at 16 he was going to oh, be a great aye. player? He, he, Pinpointing his crosses and that, you know, the way, I don't know how many goals were scored once he came into the team with the crosses from him. He just seemed to be able to pick people out. Yeah. You know, in, in the box, crowded boxes and everything, you know, but 
And another thing you could do was you could be running full pelt and still cross the ball. A lot of boys, like myself, had to stop yeah. and, and cross it, you know, yeah. get stopped and then cross it. And he could do it in full pelt, like Gordon Smith and the Hibs and that. He could do that as well, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he was always a good player. Jackie Sinclair was a good player as well. Yeah, he obviously won the, Europe, the first cup of Newcastle. That's right. I was at the game that day. I was the manager of Berwick at the time. Brilliant. And I went down with Joe Wallace and Johnny Harvey. The, the Harps, they were, Johnny Harvey was the manager of Harps and Joe Wallace was his coach. Well, Joke was at, I took over from Joke at Berwick, mm -hmm. and he was married to a, married to a Berwick girl actually, and knew him quite well, you know, obviously going to Largs and that. And uh, we all went down together, so we get each best dozer. Aye. A club you'd obviously played against aye, aye. for Dunfermline. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Walking Down the Holbeath Road. We would also like to thank our sponsors at Inverkeething Hillfield Swifts 2017s. The Swifts are an SFA quality marked community group and have competitive teams for every age group from mini kickers through to amateur level football. So if you're interested in youth football, why not check out their website www.swiftsfc.com. Uh, the following season, which I think was your last full season at the club, was 64-65. A certain player signed that season called Alex Ferguson. Aye. What, what was your memories of Alex as a player? Well, I was getting, I was coming out of the team at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a good player, Alex. He was all elbows, you know. <laughs> he caused a lot of bother at the training. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be elbows like the Jim McLean and that, you know, and they were fighting. Like <laughs> he was a real battler. Great fighting spirit. Mm -hmm. Never see die, you know. Wanted to win every game. He was a born, born winner, Alec. But I was in the team a lot with Alec because Big Wally had me out of the team by this time. Bertie yeah. had taken over and yeah, I wasn't getting games. In fact, I was thinking uh, I'd actually went full time the season after we won the cup. I went full time in 62. Right. Only because my wife had just had her second baby. There was only 18 months between them. And I thought, well, this would be a chance maybe give myself another couple of years at the football and uh, help around a bit. So I went full time actually in 62 and I was actually speaking to Big Wally about going back part time. I was going to start going back at engineering because that's my higher national and everything, you know. And uh, I would have got a job quite easy, I think. But as things worked out, I don't know if you remember, 65, but uh, they played Dundee United up at Dundee and Dundee United were way down the bottom league and we were way at the top. I think they only drew or they got beat. And on the Monday, they had a rearranged game against the Lanark. So he obviously made changes, and that was one of them that he brought in. And won six nothing and I scored four goals. So he couldn't have leave me out the next game, mm -hmm. but just so happened to be the semi-final of the Scottish Cup against the Hibs. But you scored them, didn't you? I scored again there, you know. A pass by Lund, and Melrose heads a goal for Dunfermline. From that right up to the final, I think I'd scored about six goals. Fergie had scored one, John McLaughlin had scored one, and Smithy had scored two or something, you know. Mm -hmm. There was no way he could leave me out of this cup final team either. And I hadn't been in the team all season. It just, that's football, you yeah. know. And by this point, Jockstein had left to go to Hibs. Willie Cunningham had taken over. What, uh, what was Willie like as a, as a manager? Oh, he was a good manager, Willie. I, I could say he was a bad manager because he dropped me, but, but I still got about two seasons out of him before he started making mm. changes. And I was getting older, to be honest, you know. I mean, 65, when they played in the cup final, I was 30 years old. So I was on my way out, I knew that, yeah. and that's why I was wanting to go back to engineering, to be honest. 
Yeah. But uh, Willie was a good manager. Very astute, aye. Yeah, and then you mentioned there the cup final. Jock Steen then goes to Celtic. Aye, and wins the cup. And wins the cup. We were so close that day, weren't we? We were 2-1 we're, we're up. Yeah, I scored the first goal and I tapped a ball to John McLaughlin with a free kick and John put the second one in. We were running 2-1 at half-time and I thought, this could go our way, you know. But then uh, Betty Old, I think it was, scored the equaliser. Yeah. Then Billy McNeil, six minutes to go or something like that. But after that, I always remember this. Jackie Sinclair, who had a good shot, from about 10 yards, he had a shot at the goal and it was a thunderbolt. And John Clark was standing on the line and he hit his knee and went over the bar. Unbelievable, you know. I think if we'd got that equaliser, we'd have gone on to win that game because yeah. we were a better team than Celtic at that time, you know. And but when you think that was the Celtic that, team that were effectively European champions, went on, two, went years on later. two years later to win the European Cup. Incredible. Uh, so, rounding up, you went the following season, 65 66, you only made one appearance that season. Uh, but overall, you made 275 appearances, scored 106 goals. Mm. Was there any games in particular or goals that stand out for you? Obviously, we spoke well, about a couple of them. Obviously, the six goals, and then I scored five against Falkirk, which a lot of them fellas would be happy about. Yeah, too right. <laughs> <laughs> and I scored that four against the Lanark as well, just before the 65 Cup final. Uh, but the goal against Everton, I think, was the one that gave me the most satisfaction. Yeah. Because it meant so much to the club and the supporters and that, you know. Plus, they'd go on the next round, you know. It, uh, it must have been, for you guys, it must have been a bit like a fairy tale from going, like oh. I say, relegation to winning the cup, to the ground getting developed, to European football. Oh. See, like the dream. We always go back, like say, we peeps and Big Charlie, Dixon and that. You know, they joined, and Ronnie Miller joined the club in 55. And, they were up and doing like a yo-yo and they were like, like Stirling Albion. One year they would go up and then the next year they'd go down and that. And, uh, and then, ten years later, they're playing in cup finals and, well, six or seven years later, playing yeah. in cup finals in Europe. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it is a fairy tale, you're right. Yeah. It definitely was. And then, so you leave the club that season and you join Aberdeen in October 65. Mm-hmm. Was there other clubs interested at the time or was it just I think so. Aberdeen? No, I, I, I heard the story later that Eddie told me later, he said... Uh, he knew that Dunfermline were coming up to play in Inverness in a friendly. I don't know if it was a testimony for something. Mm-hmm. And I think Eddie had asked Big Wally to play me because he, he knew what I could do like. And uh, oh, we won about 7 nothing or something. I think I scored about three goals that day. And so Eddie came down and signed me. Is that Eddie Turnbull? Aye. What was Eddie Turnbull like? Great, great manager. But tactically he was on, on par with Jock. But man management, <laughs> he believed in the stick, he believed in the stick more than the <laughs> You know, Jock was a stick in the carrot, he had a bit of both. Eddie was just a stick, I'm afraid, you get, he just well, kicked backsides and all that, you know. Uh, but tactically, he was a very, very good manager. And oh. he made you captain Aberdeen? Aye, I, I captain Aberdeen in the 67 Cup final. And, Brilliant. Uh, he was a good man for me. I remember it. He was, he was a bit of human about him. He came down and uh, I was in the in the boardroom with Big Willie when Eddie arrived. And Big Willie actually tried to stop me going to Aberdeen because he said I would could be, get the coach's job at Dunfermline. A lot of folk didn't know that. But right. I said, oh, well, I, said, I, I want to play. I, didn't want to, I want to play. I'm only 30. I could still yeah. play another two, three years. I never put any weight on it. I was kind of, 
So, uh, I made up my mind. Eddie asked me to bring my wife down. He spoke to her as well. And I thought, that's a great human touch, that. Yeah. Now, you know that you're going up to Aberdeen, you're up to take the kids, to up to find schools. You'll get your house all right, and that. How do you feel? He was very good. He said, oh, yes, it's all right. I'll go where my husband goes, and that's it. Yeah. But, was, you know, that was the human side of him. You know, I felt that. Yeah, that's not like Eddie. But, you know, get the wife on your side as well, you know. Really important, wasn't mm. it? And that year, 1967, you got a trip to America. Oh, fantastic. What's your memories there? Oh, oh. They go to America. Nine weeks in America. Well, my memory is that Eddie wasn't well at the time. And we're leaving from Aberdeen Airport. And Eddie drew me aside. He says, Harry, look, he says, um, I'm not going to America. You're not going? He said, no, I've got to get treatment. Seemingly the doctor he was he had was treating him for the wrong thing, he was treating him either for kidneys instead of lungs or lungs or something like that. Anyway, it was something to stay behind for treatment. He would come out later on, he said, but you're the manager. You know. And Davy Shaw was the trainer and I thought, well Davy will be the top man, you know. Yep. You know? You're the manager out there. Because I was coach by this time, you know. Right. Well player coach this time. God blame me, I'm going baby, well, no baby, <laughs> having a drink with these lads and I'm going to have to tell them it's that and the other. But it was a fantastic trip. We were in a, a section with Sunderland and oh, Wolves and all these people, you know. And uh, it was nine weeks it ended up because we did well. We won our section and went to play in a semi-final and went to play in the final. So it just went from six weeks to nine weeks. <laughs> and the Washington Whips. Aye, Washington Whips. the team you were, Aye. you were called, eh? We're, we're, we're based in Washington in the big hotel here. Oh, it was just, it was just fantastic. What an and experience. The guys that ran the Washington Whips were like the people that, they're not millionaires, people that were in the baseball and the basketball and that. They're not millionaires, but didn't have a clue about football, you know. Mm. And Or soccer. There was one night we went to the British Embassy and I had to go and I took Jens Peterson with me. I, I like Jens and I were quite thick, you know. And uh, I was a guest of honour at the British Embassy. So... I made a wee speech here, I said, well, we're over here to hope that we can get soccer off the ground in America. You know, we hope we'll be good ambassadors for the club and that, from Aberdeen. So I sat down, chairman said, anybody got any questions for Mr Melrose? Could you explain the offside rule? Oh, <laughs> me. So I fuddled through, you know, for and I sat down. Any more questions? Could you explain the offside rule? <laughs> Same bloke. <laughs> it's quite hard for people that didn't know the game at all. Totally you know, <laughs> it's got to be one defender. <laughs> oh, that, was a, that was an experience, but uh, oh, they treated us really well. What players were involved at Aberdeen at that point? Who was in your team? Well, the team was Ali Shue and the team Bobby, Bobby Clark, was the goalkeeper, of course. Jens Peterson, Franny Monroe, Frank Monroe, who... Immediately after that, he scored three goals in the final against the Wolves from midfield. They signed him as soon as we got back to Aberdeen. Franny Monroe, Jinky Smith, Jimmy Smith that went to Newcastle. Boys like that. Good me, Jimmy Wilson, Jim Story, come up from Leeds, you know. Ah, it's a good bunch of lads, aye. And a boy from your time here, Paddy Wilson. And me, Paddy, aye, Paddy, Paddy, Paddy in America as well. Brilliant. Aye. It was me that got Paddy to Aberdeen, actually. Um, at the end of the season, Eddie said to me, is there anybody in Dunfermline, Harry, you might, might be worth taking a chance on? I said, well, boss, one I would maybe like to take a chance on would be Paddy Wilson. 
He's a very willing worker, hard working player. He'll listen to you and he'll do anything you ask him to do for the chance. So he got a couple of good seasons at Aberdeen. They all went away to Berwick and uh, I think he went to Wraith Rovers and then I took him down to Berwick as well. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, he was a willing, willing player with the paddy. Hard you know, worker. Hard worker, aye. Right. And you spoke about Berwick there. You left Aberdeen and then in 1969 you take over player manager of Berwick Rangers. Uh-huh. You guided them to sixth place in the second division, which was their best ever position at that point. Mm-hmm. I take it you always wanted to, to move into management once you started your coaching. Once I started the coaching, I did. I went to Largs and uh, the coaching courses and uh, got my badges. And I thought, well, engineering. I'd been away that long from engineering by this time. The engineering, great strides in engineering at that time. And I think if I'd gone back in, I'd have maybe struggled a wee bit, but maybe a wee while, but, you know, I wasn't really looking forward to being sitting at a desk mm-hmm. after being full-time football player, coach, manager at Berwick, things like that. So I said, well, I think I could do it. So out of the blue, of course, I got the phone call to come up and interview for Dunferman. Yeah. Unbelievable. I had actually the chance to go to Hibs as a coach under Willie McFarlane. But uh, I didn't fancy, didn't fancy that job, you know. Yeah. It'd be the main going back to Edinburgh, right enough. But mm-hmm. just didn't fancy the job, you know. Did you find um, it hard going from being a player in the dressing room to then having to be the manager? Yes, it could, it could be hard, but it depended on the the quality of the players that you had. I mean, if if you'd had a lot of bad players, I don't mean I mean bad character-wise, it'd have been a lot harder. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a good bunch of lads, they realise the job you've got to do. And it's been done before with people that have gone from player right into the management at the same club. Yeah. And as I say, it all just depends on the makeup of the, 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 the players, yeah. the character of the players, rather than the ability. You know, if they're human and yeah. no idiots. Yeah. You touched on it there, Harry. You got the opportunity to then go back to Dunfermline when George Miller resigned in mm-hmm. September 75. Mm-hmm. I take it that was an easy decision. Oh. For you to go back. Unbelievable. I couldn't get up quick enough to get an interview. <laughs> so it was Jimmy Thompson actually phoned me. Jimmy and I were always very friendly here, you know, we were on holiday together with the kids and all that. But Jimmy and I were always very close. And Jimmy phoned me, says, Harry, he says, I've been asked by, Jimmy was a coach at this time, in the second team, I've been asked by the chairman to wonder if you could come up and have an interview for the job. Jimmy, I says, when does he want me there? I can leave now if you want. <laughs> I said, the board meeting's Monday night, could you come up Monday? I said, I'll be up Monday. And then they gave me the job. And did you get a shock at that time? I did, I. But I was lucky because we'd played Dunfermline just a few weeks before or a few months in the League Cup, I think it was. And we beat them at East End. And Willie Carligan scored for about 25 yards with his left foot. So it really was a lead letter day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we, beat, we had to beat them for And whether that helped to make up their minds, they'd, oh, God, this boy must love something, you know. Yeah. Was it a tough time at Dunfermline at that point? So obviously the club had then started to well, decline. Just, well, they went down. They were on their way down and I, I couldn't save them, to be honest. And, of course, the next two seasons I finished third and third. It was the, first, the first two went up and I finished third and third. And I'd say to me, I'd say to my wife, like I said, if I don't make it this year, even if they didn't sack me, I'm, I've, had, I've had enough, like, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've given it my best. So luckily we got up 
Yeah. Yeah. The third season. Right? May 79. 79. Falkirk game. Aye, Falkirk. Imagine Falkirk. And losing the first goal. Yeah. John Perry, aye. I was going to say, what's your memories of that day? Well, the worst thing was getting John Salton injured. He got injured after about 15 minutes and had to come off. God, I mean, he's a stalwart, you know. Mm -hmm. So we moved Bobby Robertson to right back and uh, Eddie from right back to him. And anyway, made we shuffle up and losing the first goal was a bit of a thing. But at half time, just had to tell him, just keep playing because we, we, we could play good football at the time. You know, and Sandy McNaughton, big Mike up front, you know. Uh, Leonard, Leonard boys like that. Jim Bowie, we good players, you know, Kenny Thompson. Good players, so I think we deserve to get up. To be honest, you know, mm. we did it three years, so we deserve to get up. We tried three times, made it third time. Look here. What What's your memories? That you've mentioned loads of club legends there. You You brought all these guys to the club, and a lot of these guys were at the club for a long time as well. Aye, right, Huey White signed Huey for the Hibs. Remember going across to his digs in Edinburgh. I was at university. His <laughs> digs to sign him. Jim Bowie. Uh, Jim was a good player. A smashing player he was. Mm -hmm. Another one that could cross the ball on the run, didn't have to stop, bring it back to his other foot and cross it and that. He, he was a great player, Jim. Yeah. Sandy McNaughton was the best signing we made. Made a smashing story about that. We decided at the board meeting, I said I wanted to sign Sandy McNaughton. And they said, well, with no money at the time, as you know, the club were in a bad way. And uh, they decided after a lot of heated discussion that if you'll come for £5,000, do the deal. Right, so the chairman and I, John Yellow Lee, doctor, went way through to their board meeting on the Monday night or something, you know. So we got through there now. The chairman said to me on the way through, now remember, Harry, 5000 that's it, 5000 So I went through, went through. So went in, right, come in, gentlemen. They had their wee meeting and we were invited in. The chairman said, well, I think that if you went to 6,000, the deal would go ahead. <laughs> Don't care, Lee. Done. <laughs> Done. <laughs> After all this session about this 5,000 pounds. So I don't know if you took the 1,000 pounds in his own pocket or what. I don't know, but... Uh, There's three signing notes. Oh, good sign. what a player he was for us. Top, top scorer for the next three seasons, aye. aye. And Mick Leonard was some of the other. Yeah. You know, Mick, Mick was recommended by Roy Barry, you know. You'll never know, maybe not remember the time, but... No. Roy had got his jaws. He's five on the Thursday night or something. He phoned me on the Saturday, Friday night. He phoned me on the Friday night. He says, Harry, he says, I'm supposed to have a guy coming over from Sligo to play a trial for me, he says. He's not a bad player, he says. I just wonder if you maybe want to use him, you know. Well, at the time, we were always looking for a cent, somebody up front, you know. We didn't have Sandy by this time. I says, aye, what's his background? He says, Mike Leonard, he comes from Glasgow, actually, but he's been playing for Sligo Rovers and he wants him back home. He says, his reports are good, like, I said, I'll give him a game. <laughs> Never looked back, you know, <laughs> just signed him right after the game. Brilliant. Aye, Roy, Roy, Roy. Roy phoned me. Aye, Roy says, we've got a guy coming over. Amazing. Aye. Another name you mentioned, John Salton. Oh, fantastic. Great player for you. Oh. Uh, he, he was a stalwart and uh, he'd just been freed with the Hibs and I remember him from a, a reserve game uh, was, it, was it maybe Berwick played them in a reserve game or something or we played there Hibs, and I thought that's a big imposing centre half that you know so I, I, I had a rearranged a pre-season game at, at Lynn Bank there I was going to sign him anyway because I remembered him and I said that's just what we're needing we need some of that but Kenny Thompson behind him 
take a bit of getting past us. We'd sign Bobby Robertson, who just, you know, junior to senior, and just take, take it in his side, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, John was brilliant. Uh, John was brilliant. He resigned in December 1980, yeah. uh, decided to call it a day. Mm. Uh, he then returned to East End in May 1990 as the uh -huh. general manager. Yeah. How, how did that come about? Well, as I say, Mel Rennie, I was always very friendly with Mel. And I think he must have remembered once, I was kidding him on, I said, oh, I, I think I've only to be the secretary now, or, or a director now, Dunfermline. I've done everything else, I've played, I've managed, you know, I've been a general manager. <laughs> well, I, I could be the secretary, I think, of Jimmy McConville packs in. And I don't know if he must have remembered this, because I got a phone call from him and said, Harry, Mel Rennie here. Oh, hello, Mr. Rennie, how are you doing? All right. She said, could you come down to the house? I lived in Took at the time, you lived in yeah. Garwick, uh, Garwick Hill. And uh, she said, come down to the house for a wee blather. I said, aye. So I said, what the hell is he on the weekend? So that's what it was. Remember the, the previous guy who just died, um, Kyle? Yeah. Can't remember Jack his first Kyle, name. Jack Kyle, Jack Kyle, uh, Jack Kyle. Yeah, yeah. died, and oh, oh, great. So I said, oh, that'll do me. I was working for. Enco at the time, yeah. a rep, which was a good job as well. Took car, you know, and I was going to places like Fitboy Daft, you know, I was right along to Glasgow, well, the outskirts of Glasgow, Falkirk, you know, mm -hmm. Airdrie, Coatbridge, places like that. Where, as soon as you gave them their ticket, Harry Melrose, are you the wee bastard that scored against us for, against Celtic <laughs> in 65? <laughs> you know, things like that, and you were getting. It's an easy job, you know, because yeah. they were all football orientated, the people you're going to talk to, you know. So it was a quite hard, a hard decision then to make. I, I really was, because as I say, I had this car and all that, you know, but I got that with the, the, the club as well. But yeah. That was great, it was a great opportunity again to come back to East End, yeah. you know. A totally different job, you'd be dealing oh. with the stadium, the staff, oh, I, I, press. Uh, the first job I had was, as soon as they knew it was me, I got a phone call, a girl. I want you to sort out these toilets on the far side of the park, it is. Every time you go in, there's no toilet rolls left. <laughs> All right, thank you, I'll sort it out. Aye, the previous guy said he would sort it out as well. <laughs> so, so that was a, that was a start. And then I don't the think next thing things have changed, Harry, no, to no. And then the next thing, the police arrived. And wanting you to pick up all the wee stones in the ground because it could be used as a missile, you know, and all. <laughs> so it was a totally, you know, I said, Carl, let me, what will I let myself in for? You know, but it was fantastic, aye. Totally different from aye. football management. Aye, aye. I take it when you, you resigned in 1980, did you have opportunities to stay in football as a manager or were you. No, no, really there? not. Aye, well, I had a couple of the year clubs approach me, mm -hmm. but I didn't really want to be in that division again, to go honest, after being at Dunfermline. I wasn't really in it. Football was beginning to... <laughs> I was enjoying my job at Enco, to be honest. It was, it was great. Yeah. No worries, you got your home at night and that's it. Whereas with the football, well, it's 24 hours a day, you know. You can get a phone call at 10 o'clock at night or something. Some players saying, oh, I can't you play instead of any boss, I've got the call or something, you know. Mm -hmm. So, totally different. How do you think you would cope in football nowadays with I wouldn't Obviously, like it. social media, mobile phones. Exactly. You've, you've hit it right on the head, the social media. How how these people can put up with that, managers getting shirked on the... Mm -hmm. It's no fair, you know, it's no right. But no. Yeah, they're always idiots, you know. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't have been able to handle that. It's even worse now, isn't no. it? No. And the pressure must be even greater. Oh! Managers don't last in no. jobs now, do they? Oh, it's no job at all nowadays. No. No. 
No, I'm, I'm glad I'm knowing that. <laughs> I'm glad I'm knowing that nowadays. Because it was good at the time when I was in it because there was less pressure. Yeah. In Berwick, there wasn't a lot of pressure at Berwick. Dunfermline, there was more pressure at Dunfermline knowing what they had been and what they were when I did come. Yeah. You know, I, I said to I said to my wife, I said to her, I'm going to try and get them up into that division, at least get them up one division, give it a go for a few years and see what happens. And well, as I say, we got them up. Yeah. And two seasons later, we Jotters out the door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, one thing I was going to highlight, you scored 106 goals and 271 appearances. You're the third highest goal scorer in the club history. Mm. Find Charlie D and Bobby Skinner. Uh, Bobby Skinner was the one I think that beat both of us, didn't he? Yeah, he was, did he score more than Charlie? I think he did, yeah. Aye. Aye. Aye, just... Was, uh, He's done okay, I think somebody he? did tell me before, it was uh, second top post-war. Post-war. <laughs> Yeah. That the first world war, the second world war, I used to say to them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, as, as I say, I was always a goal scorer, you know. I wasn't the greatest player in the world in that. I wasn't a, f a flying merchant or anything. I just, mm -hmm. I just could score goals. Brilliant. I, One thing we like to, to ask our guests is a top five. So, from your time at Dunfermline, so the most memorable game you played in, if you could pick one game. Well, the cup final, obviously. Yeah. The uh, replay winning the cup. And second would be the Everton game. Yeah. When scoring the winner with a few minutes to go, putting the club up there. Right? And who was your best mate during your time at the club? Jimmy Thompson. Jimmy T. Aye. Brilliant. Uh, the best player you played against, would you say? Willie Hamilton, the Dundee, the right back. Couldn't get past him. I remember one game, we were playing Dundee, I think it was at East End, in fact, and two or three times in the first half. I took, tried to take Hamilton on, took the ball off me, you know. Again, big joke. Come in at half time, he says, Harry, he says, why are you persisting? And that man's got you in his pocket, he says. He's taking the ball off you all the time. Of course, your head just goes, woof. Yeah. Then he says, you're probably the, le the best long distance passer in the club, he says, so use your strengths. See, one minute you're like that, then he says you're the best passer. Yeah. Probably wasn't he? But he said, look, you're probably the best long distance passer at the club. Use your strengths. You know, you one minute, that's just joke again. Yeah, psychology, bad management, again, bad psychology. management fantastic. Aye, but well, it was a, a hard to beat. Brilliant. Uh, what, what was your favourite stadium to play at? Dine Castle. Yeah, because all my brothers and my uncles and all that were there. The seers getting beat. <laughs> and your favourite memory from your time? You could pick one memory. Well, this this might surprise you, but my mother only saw me ever playing football once, and it was I didn't know, but I got two caps for Junior Scotland when I was with Hockey, and the second one was at Falkirk against Southern Ireland. And I didn't know that my father borrowed his boss's car and took my mum through to the game. And they were standing at the corner flag, weren't they in the stand? <laughs> standing at the corner flag. And I scored the winning goal with three minutes to go. And he says, you want to see this? Just tell me everybody around the boot, that's my laddie, that's my oh. laddie. And I uh, often think back, you know, I thought, fine. The only time she was ever at a football match in her life, you know. She was there that so day. Proud. Oh, fantastic guy. Amazing. That's a, that's a, that's a great memory that for me, like, you know. That's brilliant, mate. She wasn't that, you know, because we were all in football. 
My brother, two younger brothers were playing amateur football, you can. My brother, St Mirren and Robin, he was in the army playing for Swindon Town and all that. Mm -hmm. But aye, that's, that's one memory that I like. Brilliant, <laughs> Harry. I didn't know until I came home at night. You know, I came home at night and my father said, by the way, that was a good goal you scored. Aye, your mum thought it was a great goal, he says. Oh, aye, she was there. Aye, she said she wanted to go. Oh. Brilliant. Aye, so that was a fantastic memory for me, aye. Superb, Harry. Well, thanks again for your time. No it's problem been absolutely at all. amazing no. listening to your no. stories. Aye, I've enjoyed the chat, actually, Mike, yeah. Good man. Ma good memories. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, which is available on all popular platforms such as Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Thanks to our guest Harry Melrose on this episode of Walking Down the Holbeef Road. This podcast was produced by Jan Mokiewicz and music supplied by Stuart Dusty Miller. We look forward to speaking to another former part in the next episode. Thank you.